Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators. is an interesting show for everyone today. In this episode, we're going to talk about whiskey proof, and we'll cover several topics related to the subject. We're going to talk about how proof affects the flavor profile of whiskey, and we'll also talk about the different kinds of tasting notes from general 90 proof whiskeys. We're having some whiskey during the show, aren't we? Absolutely. In fact, we're having three distinctly different 90 proof pours tonight. We've got Four Roses Small Batch Bourbon, Maker's Mark Bourbon, and Sazerac Rye. Well then, let's get started. All right. So the first pour we're going to have tonight is some Four Roses Small Batch Bourbon. This one was one of your favorites, Dad, when you first, when you first really got into bourbon. This one was one that you, you picked out pretty quick. As yep. being one that you were going to really enjoy yep. for the that, long haul. That's true. And I always have it in our bunker. It's certainly not one of the more expensive bourbons out there. In fact, uh, most places you shouldn't pay much over $35, if even $35. should fall somewhere in the neighborhood of that 30 to 35 range. I like that all of the ones that we've chosen tonight are all at around kind of that same price here hovering at around 30 bucks yeah that was the whole idea here to get started on these first podcasts i didn't want to break anybody's bank and most everything should be readily available and approachable mm -hmm. so this first one four roses small batch bourbon comes from kentucky it's distilled by four roses it is classified as a kentucky straight bourbon whiskey and it's a small batch Kieran, the parent company of Four Roses, does things a little different than a lot of companies. Four Roses uses two different mash bills, and they also have a bunch of different yeast strains to create up to 10 distinct bourbon recipes. Oh, I could use those for baking, can I? <laughs> <laughs> maybe so, maybe so. So the first batch that they use, or the mash bill that they use, is 60% corn, 35% rye, and 5% malt barley. Got a high rye. Yeah, very high rye. And they use a yeast strain that enhances rye and baking spices, as well as puts a little bit of rich fruit into the flavoring. The second mash bill is 75% corn, and only 20% rye, mm. and 5% malt barley. And they still go back to that baking spice yeast strain 
with more rich fruit, but this time adds a little bit of vanilla. So do we know which particular mash bill for Rose's small batches, or do we have this a guess? Is a, this is a combined mash bill. They oh, use nice. them both. Ah. They use them both. So here we've got uh, new charred oak, like always, and then barrel char of uh, three and four. It goes into the barrel at 120 proof, and while there is no age statement on the bottle, the website notes that it's between six and seven years. As we said, 90 proof bourbon. Let's give it a taste, and we'll talk about what it smells like and tastes like and what have you. We are having our Four Roses uh, small batch in a Weck jar. These are small jelly jars. They've got a big fat lip on them. They're pretty small. Um, they are tulip shaped, so really kind of coaxes the nose straight up, but it's still got kind of a wide opening there up top. I do get a lot of rye bread. A lot of the times when I have my days off, I sometimes make bread, and rye bread has been something I've been really getting into. I tend to put some sweet things into it, like fennel seeds and caraway seeds, obviously, and I can really get those in this room, like when I first sip it. It is spicy. Yeah, the rye is there. 90 proof whiskeys aren't going to be the highest proof that you're going to find in a whiskey. Certainly not in a bourbon. Bourbons can go much, much higher. But 90 proofs are really good entry-level bourbons, entry-level whiskeys when you're first getting into it, I think. Anything that you grab that's high rye, like this Four Roses, is going to have a bit more punch of spice to it. Not necessarily alcohol heat, but that punch of spice is going to be there. And I can definitely pull that from this from this glass. Like black pepper. There's some cinnamon here as well. Yep, there is. And like Alora mentioned, the rye, of course. That's definitely there. I feel like there's also a little bit of nutmeg in this as mm. well. It kind yep. of accompanies the cinnamon. Yep, all those baking spices. Mm -hmm. All those baking spices. While the yeast strains would indicate there should be some fruit here, I'm really not picking up a lot of fruit. If it is, uh, maybe something like uh, dark fruits, maybe dark dried fruits, raisins, prunes, currants. I think you get more of those on the actual palate than you do on the nose. The nose is pretty spice forward. The taste is kind of where you get a bit more fruit coming in and I do agree that it's dark fruits. I think that there's also another bit of a fruit um not necessarily citrus but think of like a really 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 sweet kind of citrus like the kind you get when you drink a pink lemonade or something. Mm. I kind of get a little hint of that because it's not just it's not just deep fruits that I'm getting. I am also getting a bit brighter notes of that. Okay. And I think that that's, okay. yeah. It's definitely not anything in the sweet realm though. I'm not tasting your classic sugar or caramel or anything See, like I that. See, I kind of 
am. I got vanilla, actually. I, 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 well, there's I, vanilla there. I can't pull too much vanilla, but I do get those candies, like Pop Rocks. Mm. Like at the back of the palette, okay. there's just this little pop of sweetness. And that's got to be because of the rye. Yeah, that I you're think getting. So. A, I don't want to call it harshness, but somebody who's not accustomed to bourbon right. would say that this has got a bite. Yes. And really it's the spiciness from the rye right. that's coming forward. But I think when you really let that settle in, there is a pop of actual sweetness that comes in. And it's not spice. You just have to be receptive to yeah. it. And inside this, I, I'm also getting that, that uh, a little bit of oakiness. Mm. But it's not smoky or anything like that it's just it's just a woody base like if you were to walk through an oak forest and that'd be what you smell and yeah and maybe even a little bit of uh oh i don't know damp earth mm -hmm, mm -hmm. kind of some kind of richness there the earthiness so let's just talk about proof this is 90 90 proof whiskey so what is 90 proof or what does proof even mean well first we'll kind of go back and talk about ABV or alcohol by volume. I think that's what most people are familiar with. They look at a wine bottle or a beer. And, and they say, oh, this beer has got 7.6% yeah, alcohol. Yeah, it's all percentages. Yeah. It's all decimal points. Yeah. I can guarantee I look at every single bottle like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we're looking at a bottle of whiskey prominently displayed on the front of the label, you'll see ABV and often the proof. ABV, or alcohol by volume, is a percentage of alcohol in the bottle. So pure alcohol, which frankly nobody's going to drink, is 100% alcohol. Okay. Ever clear. Yeah, You're ever getting clear. close. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not going to go there. This, at 90 proof, is 45% alcohol. The uh, 750 milliliter bottle is 45% alcohol. ABV is a standard measure of alcohol concentration in the given, the given volume of the beverage. Proof is a term that came, believe it or not, from the 16th century. Sailors, believe it or not, came up with the way of testing their gunpowder by putting alcohol on it. And if the gunpowder would still ignite, that was a way that they could say this was good gunpowder. And what they did was when... That's the, good alcohol. That's good. <laughs> yeah. that's good there you go. Gunpowder burned consistently when it was 100 degrees proof. Well, it turns out 100 degrees proof was about 57.1% alcohol. So years later, this same method was applied to the alcohol. 100 degrees proof is the point at which alcohol ignites when oh, poured onto the gunpowder. That's cool. So in addition, I guess there's a gin out there that uh, is called Navy proof. And it mm. turns out it's at the old 57.1% alcohol. Oh, cool. I'm going to have to try that. I do love a good gin. <laughs> yeah. Here in the United States, proof is defined as twice the ABV percentage. So when someone says something is 90 proof, it's 45% alcohol. Or if it's 100 proof, it's 50% alcohol. You divide it in half. Yep. yep. Divide it in half. 
over time, over history, uh, proof differences really came about because of the way production was done. In the early days, proof was not standardized. Okay, there could have been 40 proof. There could have been 150 proof. We, we just we just don't know. You know, we've seen pictures of guys taking a shot of moonshine and grimacing when they do. Well, that's probably a fairly high proof that wasn't aged very much. <laughs> it came right out of the still. Like I said, the United States set the standard in actually the 19th century. Back in 1896, the U.S. government established that proof is twice the ABV percentage. In France, they've never really grasped the proof system. They just stay with ABV. <laughs> And interestingly, Japan uses a sake meter or a hoshu do as uh, the level of alcohol. But universally now, everybody uses proof or 45% in this case of our whiskey is alcohol. Before we go on to the maker's mark, are there any last remarks we want to make about this Four of Roses? Anything on the finish? It tends to last for me. It does. And I think it's because of that, that peppery note it, it, yeah. that's there. It's very warming. I definitely feel it, mostly in the chest. Like, it really just settles in. It doesn't really bloom out, I don't think. It just kind of is like, ah, I'm going to make your chest really, 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 really warm. And that rye bread really comes in there yeah. on the in, finish, in the too. Finish. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely have this bourbon with rye bread if you can. That'd be pretty good. <laughs> and then I got to say, it was one of my first bourbons that I really gravitated to, and it's still one that I have in my bunker on a regular basis. It was easy to grab it off the shelf tonight. So, what's up next? We've got Maker's Mark next. This one's pretty familiar to everybody that Maker's Mark out of the three here, but honestly Maker's Mark as a whole in the whiskey world is one of the most heavily marketed. That red wax seal, you see it everywhere. Even so, I know about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go into any liquor store and the red wax is everywhere. Maker's Mark started doing that red wax thing. They've actually got it trademarked nobody else can use red wax well they make it so personal like all of those commercials that you see it's everyone is individually hand dipped and unique and there'll never be another red wax drip like that you know it's it's, it's pretty special they, yeah. they found a cool way to market that there are some people out there uh in the collection world that look for the maker's mark bottles that got dipped too much that the entire bottle gets covered in wax. Sometimes oh. that happens. Yeah, and they, they're kind of interesting because you can't read the label very well and they become a collector's item. Uh, we don't generally collect, we drink our bourbon, uh, but you do you. <laughs> all right, so Maker's Mark Bourbon. Yeah, I've been nosing this all the while. The first thing that I notice is that it's definitely a lot softer than that Four Roses is. So the reason for that is it's a weeded bourbon. Mm. So there's no rye in this at all. The mash bill is 70% corn, 16% soft winter wheat, and 14% malt barley. There's also a bit of a 
candy element mm. in the in the nose as well. I get a lot of Skittles actually. Really? Yeah. Like the it's a weird combination, but the orange and purple Skittles, I get that a lot. That's interesting. Yeah. I'm I'm getting the uh, brown sugar caramel. I get that yeah. too. Yeah. I yeah. get maple. Oh, definitely some maple syrup here. Which I'm always down for. Maker's Mark does things different. Now, first of all, everything they do is a weeded whiskey. They don't put rye in any of their whiskeys. They also put their distillate into the barrel at only 110 proof. When the rest of the world typically is approaching 120 or 125, which is the maximum you can go in, Maker's tends to put it lower, and that way they don't have to add much water to their bourbon. Because that is something to definitely keep in mind that if a bourbon is going into a barrel at 120, maybe the ABV, the proof, goes down as it ages. But in order to maximize the product going on the shelf, oftentimes they'll add water so that you can have a higher volume of product to dispense. But if you're starting at a lower proof, then you wouldn't have to add that much water. And that makes the bourbon that's coming out of the barrel closer to what we get to have in the bottle. I like that. Yep. I, I like that. I like this a yeah. lot, yeah. So, what does it taste like? So, I'm going to go back to the whole bread thing. And Four Roses had a rye bread. Rye bread's a very pungent flavor mm. <laughs> compared to this. This is, I get, I get either white bread or wheat bread but it has a bit of honey to it. Okay. It's a very sweet, light bread. Rye bread, uh, in contrast, is very, very dark. It's got a lot of depth. It's got a lot of different flavors, and it is very obvious. White bread, you usually have it with something else. I could see you having this bourbon with something else that's also a bit stronger than this because this one's a bit more on the mellow side so it would complement it very well. I think that a Maker's Mark, since it's so readily available, and I believe it's the cheapest one out of the bunch that we have here anyway, the Maker's Mark is extremely approachable for a novice. The alcohol really doesn't come off super strong. You get such a softness here and I do think that it's I, I agree with what you're saying with that white bread essence there's a sweetness there but it still feels like everything is just being absorbed like a bread like you put jam or jelly oh, yeah. on a bread yeah on a slice of bread and it'd be really good with blackberry jam <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah this what you, what this has got uh, elements of fruit in it mm. so that lends exactly to what you're saying there's elements of spice, yes, but it's more of the softer side of the baking spices. Um, if there is a peppery element, it's more of that white pepper, which white pepper is a little bit sweet. Mm -hmm. um, I, I you're not get getting the black pepper or the, the, the you know, in-your-face pepper that some things are. Let's talk about pepper a little bit. When, when we talk in terms of pepper... We're not breaking it down to pepper like a jalapeno. We're talking more like a pepper, uh, like you've cracked pepper you've put on a steak or cracked pepper that you've added to eggs or something like that. Peppercorn. 
Yeah. Peppercorn. Exactly. Exactly. So, I like this one. It, it's it, very it's easy nice. to drink. Yeah. Very soft, as Hannah had said. Um, I like the other one, too. But each one has its own merit. I think that people look at Maker's Mark and they want to immediately kind of dismiss it because of its marketing which I mentioned earlier, but really this one isn't one to to balk at at all. I think for the price point and for being an entry into whiskey and entry into weeded whiskey, weeded bourbon specifically, I think this one really has a lot to a lot to offer. It yeah. definitely is a good starter. I think I don't know what bourbon I really started out on. <laughs> yeah, because it's all a blur. Because, my, because dad basically offered me a sip of whatever, and I don't know what it was. But it was around the time that he was first starting. I wouldn't be so surprised if that was a Maker's Mark or if I had even started on uh, Maker's Mark, because it is a really good one. It is a good one to start on. It's it's good to it's good for you to get into the world of bourbon because yeah. it yeah. offer it's so versatile and so easily accept, yeah. accessible. Like and there's always something in a maker's mark, or many somethings in a maker's mark in our bunker. Yeah, you know, we we yeah we really love that one. They're they've four, got a five, lot of six bottles. It's not not uncommon to have all of them open at the same time. Yeah, they're just consistently good. And each one offers something just a little bit different. So talk about proof again. Here in the United States, proof comes into play in regard to taxation. Product labeling and what have you is all done by the U.S. Alcohol, Tobacco, Tax, and Trade Bureau. They are also controlling the taxation of the spirit. I read somewhere recently that whiskey is the most heavily taxed product in the world. In... Uh, Scotland, 53% of the spirit is taxed, meaning that for every bottle you're getting, you're paying 53% tax, and they've just raised that tax another 16%. It's crazy. Wow. The taxation yes. got started way back in 1790-ish. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> really, Wait, really specific. It, it, was, it was the very first item that was taxed in the United States. And good old President George Washington, remember he was the one guy that kept his uh, troops at Valley Forge by giving them whiskey. Well, he needed to recoup some money to pay back the investors who funded the Revolutionary War. So he taxed whiskey. That tax led to the Whiskey Rebellion of uh, 1797, I believe, and it was largely one of the biggest reasons, I guess, why people left Pennsylvania and went to Kentucky, because Kentucky wasn't quite yet part of the United States, and they weren't being taxed as heavily, and the revenuers, frankly, couldn't get to the guys. Quite frankly, that sounds like the Boston Tea Party. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they, you were uh, basically the tax for tea was like placing a tax every single time you were trying to use the Wi-Fi. Yeah. And you can imagine that left a lot of people pissed off. Yep. So. <laughs> so the tax rate on spirits 
between 100 and 150 proof is higher than the tax rate on spirits for 80 to 100 proof. It's one of the reasons why so many distillers proof down their whiskeys and put them in that 90% or 90 proof range or 85, uh, 45%. 90 proof really is, I'm going to say, it, it's ubiquitous. Out of all of the proofs that you can get of whiskey, and we obviously really like our bourbon, but... 90 proof is everywhere 90 yep. proof is probably the most common or something that's hovering right around that 90 proof 88, 88 90 92 92. 94 yeah i actually there. really really like that range i personally don't like being overwhelmed by proof i i like to taste the whiskey not be hit abruptly with heat and <laughs> And burning fire. Like, to each their own. To each their own. <laughs> to each their own. Some people like that. Hannah yeah. and Dad really like that. Me? Please don't overwhelm me. Yeah. Well, you bring up a really good point here with what proof actually does to a glass and how it can impact its flavor profile. This was something that we mentioned at the top of the show that we were going to talk about. Laura, you mentioned pretty astutely there that, yeah, proof has a major impact on what you actually get out of the glass. Mm -hmm. It can smother a lot of things if you're only looking at it from a surface level. When you have a proof that's at around 90 or I'm going to say, you know, at around the 100 proof level, in that range you still get the whiskey joy of proof with warmth but you still have a lot to unpack there with all of the different flavor profiles. I think as you go up in the proof meter, some flavor profiles are harder to pick out than others. Absolutely. It kind of gets subdued, in which case, Hannah, you mentioned adding water, or both of you mentioned yeah, adding we've water. Mentioned that, yeah. I find I have to do that, and usually I I like to drink my whiskeys completely neat, not on the rocks, not really with any water. But if you give me 120 proof, I will be adding water to that. And the reason why is because, again, I don't like to be overwhelmed by the heat or by just the overall strength. I want to be able to pick out a lot of flavors. That's something that I really enjoy enjoy doing out of drinking bourbon. And for sure we've had some that they're just too much heat. Yeah. You know, I hate to be the one that says that, but some just have too much heat. And on our website, some of the higher brew bourbons, you'll see that we have tested them with water yeah. and how it actually yeah. affects the, the flavor or the aroma or the taste, everything. It, it truly, water makes more products more palatable. Mm -hmm. Even just a drop. Yeah. yeah. Too. I it's mean, surprising it, how much it can do to open up and knock a proof back. But at 90, if you're new to bourbon, new to whiskey, there's no shame in adding water yep. to your to your pour. There's no shame in adding it, period. If that's how you enjoy it, that's how you enjoy it you do you but really if you're new to it and you're you've had it with water a couple of times i really encourage people to try it neat and really give it its full moment 
to sing and let it talk to you in the way that it that it started. Lower proof whiskeys like the 90 proof tend to have more of a fruity or floral uh, flavor and aromas. Whereas higher proofs tend to have more punch. It's generally going to mask some of those subtle flavors. You might get some vanilla. You might get some caramel. You even might get some oak. But it's really in that wheelhouse of the 90, like Hannah says, to 100 proof, where those lower delicate flavors start to come out. Mm -hmm. And it's also really dependent on the distillery, which we'll be talking about next time around. Yep. So, any last thoughts on Maker's Mark? Another great bourbon. Comparing it to the Four Roses is kind of like comparing apples and oranges. <laughs> They're both really good in their own way. Mm -hmm. so. Extremely different. I mean, it's solid all the way through. I think the bread has become a little bit more pronounced the further I've gone in. We're drinking out of little wine glasses now, very small wine glasses here. So everything really is even more tightly packed in the glassware than it was in that weck with the four roses. But even still, I feel like it's gotten a chance to breathe and get yep. breadier. <laughs> so now we're going to go away from bourbon. Gasp. And we're going to drink some rye. Oh, Hannah, you've been getting I, into I, this. You know, I'll admit, before we started, I'd already taken several sips out of my rye glass because I really love this rye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is the Sazerac rye, member of the Buffalo Trace family. So, uh, Sazerac. Sazerac rye is just barely rye whiskey. So what makes a rye versus what makes a bourbon? A bourbon has to be a minimum of 51% corn. Well, this mash bill is undisclosed. Buffalo Trace doesn't, uh, or Sazerac, doesn't produce a, a chart that says it's made with this, this bunch, what have you. It's commonly known that this is Buffalo Trace's low rye mash bill. And it's believed that this is about 51% rye. So therefore, it can be called a straight rye whiskey. It goes into the barrel at uh, uh, an unpublished amount, but it's also believed that it's going to be somewhere around 120 or thereabouts, 125 proof. Uh, there is no age statement on this, but it is 90 proof. And... Uh, Again, right around that $30 price point. It is a little tougher to find. Whenever, anyway, we, yeah. whenever I see one on the shelf or whenever Hannah sees one on the shelf, we tend to look at our inventory list and say, oh, we need another one. I think we're sitting on a couple bottles right now, but uh, it's always nice to have a nice flavorful rye in our, in our bunker. So girls, what do you think? I can see why you like this, Hannah, <laughs> because I get so much fruit in the nose. When I, when I first smelled it, I was like maraschino cherries right there. See, that's interesting because when I go in, I get, it's citrusy, it's bright. Whenever I have a rye, the first thing I'm thinking about is how bright it is. Ryes will have that punchier obviously rye forward grain so it is going to be um 
maybe a little bit more on the peppery side or I use the word fresh a lot with a rye. This one definitely, yes, it comes across as fresh most certainly and I think there's citrus fruits in here that really kind of brighten it up even more. And I, I get that, agree. yeah, I get that citrus as well. Citrus, when I first started drinking bourbon, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be very deep, very earth, very warm tones. I didn't start realizing that you could get really bright notes from yep. a bourbon. And, but this is a bourbon. A rye. Yeah. Yeah. yeah rye, especially this one, I can see where the punchiness comes in with, yep. the, with the citrus. This is a very bright mm -hmm. uh, whiskey uh, compared to the Four Roses and the Maker's Mark. Yeah. This yeah. is very bright. Yeah. Like you said, citrus, I, it's almost like uh, orange zest. Yeah. I would definitely uh, agree there. You know, like... Or candied you, orange. Yeah, candied orange. Even. Yeah. Yep. Or caramel-covered cherries, which I tend to use a lot <laughs> in reviews. Yep. You know, of this group of three we've had tonight, this one is the most surprising. I mean, the other one's deep. The very first one, that uh, Four Roses. Deep, earthy, a little bit of oak. You know... It's so interesting because that Four Roses is a high rye bourbon, you get punchy spice yep. coming out of it. However, when you actually have a rye, you yep. get bright, fresh tones yep. coming out of it. So the rye really can impact what's going on in the glass. Did you choose this order? Yes. Okay. The reason why I ask is because... It's a good order. The Four Roses, you start very, very deep, like you said. And then the Maker's Mark is a little bit brighter. So it's almost like you're going from dark to light mm. with this. So, yeah. kudos yeah. to you. Good yeah. order. <laughs> Gotta just set that up on you. Well, what about the taste? We've talked about, oh, I mean, like, the, the aroma. We've talked about the aroma. I think that the taste is actually pretty similar to what's going on on the nose. I get a lot yeah. of bright notes. Yeah, yeah it, it's just... All the way through. I love a whiskey where the palate matches the nose. That doesn't always happen. I find with rye that it happens pretty frequently, which maybe that's why I love rye so much. I know what I'm getting before I even take a sip. And the anticipation goes, goes, goes. Typically, when I uh, review a bourbon, I actually will compare it to what I am getting in, in the nose. Same as you. I... That's actually a really big thing for me, too, because I spend so much time trying to find, oh, what's that? What's that scent? What's that scent? What's that scent? Well, when I taste a bourbon, if, if it's completely different, I'm like, oh, okay, that's a little different. But if I can find similarities between the nose and the palate, I'm like, okay, okay. Well, this like, is very similar to that. Well, like the girls have said, this is light. This is a brighter flavor. Going back to that Four Roses, it's deep. It's dark. I even mentioned maybe like walking on damp earth. This has got some oak to it, but it's more like you've just come through a sawmill. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're, yeah. You're, sawdust. Yeah. You're, you're smelling the sawdust. You're tasting that freshness of the sawn wood yeah Th it's this like is... permeating the air exactly you, you can't exactly. get out it's a cloud 
So three distinctly different whiskeys. All good. All good. And all 30 bucks or yeah. 35 bucks. Totally so you worth guys awesome. don't have to go out and break the bank to get a good product. Great yeah. for college students. <laughs> <laughs> all right, some other 90 proof whiskeys that are out there. We've talked about Buffalo Trace in the past. We had Eagle Rare a couple weeks back. Elijah Craig does make an 18-year-old single barrel. Good luck finding that one. Yeah, yeah. Elmer T. Lee, another one that's going to be tough and hard to find. George Dickel. Which is a Tennessee whiskey. Bit We've, different. Jim Beam's Devil's Cut is out there. A long time ago, we had some Oak and Eden bourbon. That Oak was out of Texas, wasn't yep, it? Yeah. Yep. Oak and Eden sources their whiskey and then puts a wooden spire that's been altered in some way. In this case, it was soaked in uh, Cabernet wine, and then that spire goes into the bottle. That's a 90 proof. We've got Redwood Empire uh, Pipe Dream. Which is, all, which is California now. Woodenville Straight Bourbon. Woodenville is out of Washington. The W.L. Weller Special Reserve and their 12-year are both 90 proof. So there's a lot of Buffalo Trace products in what we yep. just mentioned there. Buffalo Trace likes a lot of their products to be at that 90 proof. It doesn't mean that they don't have other proof offerings, but 90 proof really is where they love to be. I think Blanton's is even right around... Uh, 94, I think, yeah, on the Blanton's. Yeah, right, right around 90. Yep. Not quite there, but close. So, now that we've tested these amazing whiskeys, let's move on to the news in our segment, as for Agate Whiskey. couple of weeks but I do have a, a, a couple of stories here for us Jim Beam everybody knows Jim Beam they have started a new advertising campaign so I'm a little bit at odds with this their campaign has been named people are good for you oh dear <laughs> oh god I can hear the I can hear the opposition in him okay but anyway the way they're doing this <laughs> They're launching this. They did launch it at the beginning of May. They're doing 15, 30, and 60-second spots. I would imagine this football season we'll be seeing Jim Beam on TV. They're setting it to the tune of Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond. Ba, ba, ba. <laughs> that, was not, that was not at all planned that just happened High five, man. that was good that was good that was good original these ad, uh, ads are going to be aimed at communicating the human connection with community it's going to go back to the jim beam heritage jim beam is uh i don't want to call him the patriarch of whiskey but they're one of the longest lasting families in uh, whiskey so many family members have branched out and gone to different whiskey brands but uh, the current Jim Beam, they've got uh, eighth generation distillers that are all still part of that Jim Beam family. So they're going to be showing pictures of people on porches. They're going to be talking about the authenticity. 
of their bourbon and how it connects people together. Kind of an interesting campaign. I, I think that's really appropriate for them. Jim Beam, they have a lot of products. It's not just the Jim Beam that you see on the shelf. There's a lot that fall under that umbrella. The one that comes to mind in this regard would be their Booker's line. Yep. Every single Booker's batch is it's it's named after a person, it's named after a recipe, it's named after a memory, it's it's named after something momentous on an emotional level. So this is really something that Jim Beam has always done and I think it's kind of cool that they're going to market that a little bit heavier and, and show that side of themselves beyond just what we see of that little red seal stamp ribbon bottle. There's a quote from uh, the movie Neat. Bourbon should be shared with people and there needs to be a conversation about it. There needs to be a connection between people. I really appreciate bourbon because it helped me connect with family that I hadn't really even met. And I got very, very close with them kind of with bourbon. Sitting around a campfire telling stories. So our next story, Uncle Nearest. They have spent a bunch of money and they have bought a, a lot more land. They're now sitting on uh, over 745 acres in Bedford and Moore counties in uh, Tennessee. That makes them one of the largest, if not the largest, black landowners in the state of Tennessee. Hmm. They that's, have that's the ability cool. now to actually move from 5,000 to 8,000 uh, visitors every weekend all the way up to doubling that. As many as 15,000 visitors can go through their facility on a given weekend. Wow, that's really cool. Which is interesting because several years ago they were awarded the Guinness World Record for the longest bar. <laughs> On their premises, there is a 17-station bar that is over 500 feet long. Oh, jeez. When they revealed it or opened the bar, one of the local press members labeled it Malt Disney World. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. So they're, they're on track uh, this, this past year in October, uh, $100 million U.S. in sales. Um, they're looking to double that this year. So kudos to them. Uh, frankly, we need to get uh, Nearest Green Distillery on our radar a little tighter. We have yet to review one of their... Products. I've had some of their product. It we, is good product. We just, we just haven't reviewed it. We just it. haven't reviewed it. Moving on to their next story, Michter's. They have also expanded. However, they are growing so fast that they have said that they're unlikely to be able to meet demand in the near future. Michter's has increased their fermentation capacity and their bottling operations. They've added six 18,000 gallon fermenters and they have now gone to a 24-7 operation. Victor's has started using new bottling equipment here in January 
They just can't keep up with demand. And frankly, they make good product. They really do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Whether it's their rye or their bourbon. We've had, um, we recently got to try their sour mash and their toasted. Really good product. Yep. They're American too. Yep. They're, it just, it's just a solid product. They have implemented a 30-year planning horizon to get ahead of this. I wish our own government would have a 30-year planning <laughs> horizon. The roads. Mm. <laughs> the, the roads would be good. Yep. Start there. And then our final story is, uh, this one's a little bit, I guess, tongue-in-cheek, I say this, a little sobering. Here this past March, the National Drug Helpline put together a study to find out which of the U.S. states are drinking the most alcohol. They've broken down their study as to what is the most alcohol, what is the most beer, what is the most wine, and they've also looked at the uh, highest number of alcohol-related traffic deaths. Mm -hmm. California, being our most populous state, naturally consumes the most alcohol. 85.7 million gallons are consumed by Californians. Now that's largely due to the population, but that works out to be 2.4 gallons of alcohol per person per year. Oh, geez. New Hampshire has the highest consumption of beer and wine. Their total alcohol consumption is 4.67 gallons per person. Wow. So even though the population's far less, they're drinking a lot more. Then come Delaware, Nevada, North Dakota, and Montana. Now, on kind of a personal note, several years ago, the girls and I drove through North Dakota, and there were a large number of signs talking about alcoholism. Yeah, there were. I do remember that, yeah. Enough to where we were making comments about it. So now the study holds through. North Dakota has the highest percentage of adults who drink excessively. North Dakota also has the highest percentage of alcohol-related driving deaths. Almost one-third of all traffic fatalities in the country are attributed. However, in North Dakota, it's almost 50%. 46.7% of road deaths are attributed to alcohol. In North Dakota? In North Dakota. Oh, jeez. Now, interesting... The five states who drink the least are Georgia, Oklahoma, Arkansas, West Virginia, and Utah. Utah being the driest state in the country. That kind of follows states with the lowest income have the lowest rates of excessive drinking. Tennessee and West Virginia, their median household incomes are about 58 thousand and fifty thousand respectively where our national average is seventy thousand states with the highest median income New Jersey and Massachusetts at eighty nine thousand are the largest wine consumers faith and religion also play a role in that the uh, Bible Belt I guess and of course uh, you look at Utah uh, half the state's population there is Mormon and the Mormon faith prohibits alcohol. So maybe that's why they're the driest state in the country. On top of that, 
more than 140,000 men and women die from alcohol-related causes every year. It makes alcohol the fourth leading preventable cause of death in the U.S. So here in our own home state of Idaho, our average alcohol consumption per person is 2.94 gallons per year. Puts us near the top of the list at number seven, which is interesting because our beer consumption and our wine consumption are very low in comparative to the rest of the country. Beer consumption is puts us at 45th, wine is 34th. Hmm. We're 41st at adults who drink excessively and we're at 23rd for alcohol-related driving deaths. Like I say, it's a very sobering report. Here at Whiskey for the Ages, we advocate drinking uh, whiskey responsibly. It's our tagline on the site. You'll yep. see that right there at the top. Yep, exploring whiskey responsibly. So if you have a problem, or you think you have a problem, or you have a family member who has a problem, you need to get help. And the drug helpline where this uh, study was done has a telephone number. It's 844-289-0879. So you can go to our website on the news page. There's links to that. There's links to the study. There's links to all of the articles that I've referenced here. Um, check them out. I think it's uh, well worth the read. Certainly yeah. want everybody to be safe when, when they're sitting and having a pour yeah. with us. We we love doing this. We love doing it responsibly. There's a lot of things that we get to try, a lot of fun times that we get to have, but it's really important that we stay responsible and stay safe through it all, and that's certainly what we advocate for, for everybody, and we hope that everybody gets to have the same safe experience like we do. Because it should be savored as an experience you know bourbon it's very very strong there's yeah. so many flavors that can be enjoyed there's so many scents that can be enjoyed please please drink it responsibly mm -hmm. absolutely so in a couple weeks hannah mentioned here's what's coming we're going to do a spotlight on this distillery already kind of got one in mind we'll see how it goes it might be laid out similarly to what we did here with the proof just a distillery version maybe we'll just go hard into what funk does this distillery have and we'll talk for however long we'll talk about it i don't know yeah. after that we have uh the interview series we do have someone lined up it's a good friend of ours we've uh done a lot with him in the past and we're excited to add a new chapter on to that and i have reached out to him and he has committed so very Yep. Looking yep. forward to talking to you, Greg. Yep. After that, we have our live stream. We are, uh, Dad and I were just talking a couple days ago on exactly how we're going to get that all set up. So we are thinking about it. We'll be providing you with a time that we'll be doing it just so that you guys can sit in and have a pour with us. Or you'll just listen to us talk, which... I'm okay with that. I talk all the time. We're very entertaining people. We're very entertaining, I think. Yeah. So, sure. After that, we have an educational episode, Whiskey History. Dad is already super excited about that. I can feel him vibrating yep. next to me. I don't even know what I'm going to talk about. But it's going to be good. We're, we're excited for it. And then we're going to have our 
uh, final episode of the season that listeners pick and we've also been talking about where to put the poll up, what kind of poll we're going to be putting on what kind of platform, etc, etc. All of it is in the works. We haven't forgotten about every nope. anything. We are planning everything. We just are new to this whole thing mm -hmm. and we're, we're going on this adventure just as much as you guys are. Yeah. So kind of sort of slack here. Yep. So <laughs> we're we, working hard, I we promise. Took, we took this for first step and we inventoried. Oh, yeah, we uh, inventoried. We inventoried Saturday night, and uh, we found some surprises. Yeah, uh, some things from, you know, the dark ages that yeah, we hadn't we'd seen. We'd squirreled away. So yeah. So we have, we have some very interesting picks that we're going to put up there on our poll. So, folks, keep listening. Looking for some comments, looking for some reviews of what we're doing. Yeah, this is a blatant request uh, please tell it, talk to us tell us how we're doing yeah, yeah i get to talk to my friends at work all the time but uh you across the country you know yeah, leave you, a comment you yeah leave, leave a comment uh, leave a suggestion yeah tell us uh, what we need to work on tell us your experiences yep Tonight, we didn't bring a Glenn and Karen, so we're not quite sure how we're going to close this show. Will it ring? Will it not ring? We're going to find, find out. out. I'm going to use that Sazerac glass, our little tiny, tiny, tiny tulip. Uh, <laughs> tiny, tiny, tiny tulip. Tiny yep. tulip. We're all using tiny tulip. We're going to yep. use the tiny tulip. All right, all right guys. Go. Let's try it. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, everybody. Cheers. 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 Thanks, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.